What's up, folks? This is the Investor Weekly News update for April 17th. We're going to be talking about the big story that's been talked about. I found about this like two or three weeks ago. A whole bunch of foreclosures of apartments put on the market. We're going to be talking about the real story, what really happened, as opposed to what Wall Street Journal mentioned. Um, we'll be talking about the Fed reversing course, now predicting a recession later on this year. And end with a little bit of lesson learned with some credit card hacking and some cool ticker, traditional investment ticker that I found the other day. But here we go. So that big article I mentioned, so the Wall Street Journal finally picked it up. It, and the headline was, Houston apartment owner loses 3,200 units to foreclosure as multifamily feels the heat. Of course, like a doom and gloom as the mainstream media always puts it. I'll read the highlights from the article, but then I'll add in what really happened. So they said the latest sign that a surging interest rates are beginning to append the multi-trillion dollar rental housing market. Arbert Realty Trust, a publicly traded mortgage company, foreclosed on the properties after this Appleways Investment Group. If you hurry now, you can probably Google them and their website probably still works. I heard that they fled the country. Actually, I'll, I'll keep my comments on it to the very end. I'll just continue to read what Wall Street Journal. They said, investors who bought properties at the peak of the market 2021 often finance those deals with floating rate mortgages. Many of the loans have reset at higher rates, making it more difficult for investors to make their debt payments. As in interest rates rise, some buildings no longer generate enough profit to make debt payments, increase the risk of foreclosures like Appleways. This is a sign that in increasing interest rates are beginning to upend the housing market. Like this is what the mainstream media does and it sickens me every day. I go to read the headlines and there's something that happens in the stock market, whether the Dow goes up 250 points and they have to create some kind of correlation with something else. And it's funny when it reverses course and it only becomes like a negative 50 point day. Sometimes they just leave the same article on there or they have to change it a little bit and they have to point out something negative. I think we all know this as investors that kind of take the, the grain of salt approach with the Main Street, or in this case, the Wall Street Journal, which I call mainstream media. But yeah, what really happened, kind of saw this. Um, I heard it from a lot of my colleagues in the multifamily investment world, especially the Texas world. So what had happened was this Appleway Investment Group, one person in particular, they were from one of these multifamily kind of cohort groups. A lot of general partners in here, a lot of deals that just shouldn't been, have been doing. Um, and that's what we do warn investors a lot and why we urge people to take the syndication e-course. If it's new to you, you can, you, know, you can access the free one on the public website. So, which is at simplepassivecashflow.com slash syndication, get a lot of information there. But you know that member's website with the eight-hour e-course about how to be a good LP in syndications, that's really where you're going to learn a lot of this stuff. But what had happened, so they had four apartments that all went to foreclosure. So that's the combination of the 3,200 unit. They were having a lot of trouble a long time ago. So they, like what the mainstream media and the average person out there is they're associated with like bank foreclosures and bank failures, totally separate. And that's what kind of ticked me off was it just, it was not a systemic issue. It was a problem with the operator who, and 
problem with the asset. The asset just didn't perform. I heard through the grapevine that these guys did like a capital call a long time ago, a year ago. And some of these, when I looked up the properties, yes, I did that. I probably wasted about 20 minutes of my life Google stalking these people and the LLCs and the ownership groups. And when I look at the purchase dates, they're all purchased, I believe like middle of 2021, some as late as like just super early 2022. And to be called doing a capital call within like the first year ownership is a little crazy, or I don't want to just say crazy because some people don't know what I mean by that. It says something there, right? The second piece of information I or evidence I have is I have a lot of loans with Arbor too. Arbor is one of the biggest multifamily lenders. They are people's direct source to Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac lending. In the residential lending world, you get the Fannie Mae, Fannie Mae Freddie Mac back loans from wherever. Thousands and thousands of lenders, even the shady ones on LinkedIn, you know, that hit you up. Multifamily commercial real estate, things operate a little bit differently. There's only like a small handful of these guys like Arbor, Sabal, these multifamily large commercial lenders that sell the Fannie Mae Freddie Mac back debt. So I know how Arbor works and we've been working with them and they've been, you know, reasonable. They, on a couple of them, we just signed. They were able to, they keep the reserves, the CapEx reserves locked up, but they're working with us, which to me seems like, wow, like Arbor, I'll use the analogy of like mom and dad. So Arbor as mom and dad was pretty cool to me, man, they really took it to this guy and just foreclosed on. <laughs> Must've done something seriously wrong is my conclusion. But anyway, when you're plugged in with a passive investor network, and for me, especially the general partner network, you, know, you hear what really happened and the difference between what the mainstream media says. Um, it's not anything systemic. It's like SVB Bank. They did some bonehead moves. Sorry if you're involved by SVB Bank, but take it for what it is. It's lesson learned. Don't do what SVB Bank did was they invested in the wrong investments, particularly 10-year 10, 10 treasuries in a hawkish rate environment. You they, as a bank, you diversify. As a in real estate operator, these guys, they just didn't pick the right property and they managed it poorly for about a year and a half until this happened. And like I said, it does appear like the operators ran away. The LPs, unfortunately, what's going to happen to them, they're probably going to lose all their money. But what I'm keying in on here is it's not a systemic industry issue. What this is simply an error and a bad property. And what I'm looking at is, all right, if properties at this point in the market cycle will go to foreclosure, what is the discount rate? Now, when I did my math on what the property sold for at auction, which I don't know why the heck they took it to this auction, who's got $230 million? I think most of the lower net worth house flippers thought it was a rounding error, missing an extra three zeros, what they're used to. But one of the properties got sold to another, probably another group like ours. And then the other three properties got sold to a much larger private equity institutional investor. Again, what I key on is like what the what it sold for in this distressed set state. And the way I look at it, it's like about 90 cents on the dollar, which doesn't say anything that there's huge distress in the market. Now, I'm always thinking to myself, maybe a distress fund might be something I might be interested in. Um, and there's more things that there's another article that I, I we have here that I'll get into in a bit. That'll another reason why I always think about it. 
But if things get really bad, which I don't think it's, I don't see it getting really bad. I feel like I'd pull the trigger if things got to be 50, 60 cents on the dollar or worse, right? We're nowhere near that right now. But that's the only thing, like I said, this is a individual incident, but I use it as a data point testing the market on where where the the distressed market is at this point. And that kind of goes into the next article from wealthmanagement.com. Investors bide their time waiting for distressed apartment deals. And I guess investor would be me. I'm just waiting the time till things get really bad. And they're saying with rates rising and interest rate caps, contracts in which investors receive a payment when an invest, investment benchmark exceeds certain health thresholds becoming more expensive. I'll interject there. Say when you close a deal, a large apartment deal, talking like 50 grand on a rate cap. Nowadays, because of the volatility, you're looking at like $2 million plus or minus a million on that thing. So it's hugely skyrocketed. It's not too much. It's not because of interest rates went super high. It's more of the volatility, the speed in which the interest rates got hiked. So far, as I'm reading through the article, relatively few distressed apartment properties have become available for sale. Some would call that last article part of that sampling size. Again, I call that more of an individual incident. And then they continue, they continue the article, say some of owners of distressed properties may look for rescue capital from other private equity debt funds that now offer rescue capital and that's what I'm talking about. That's the thing I'm possibly thinking of. The problem there is if it goes through bank auction or goes through this, even you buy it directly from the distressed owners, you're getting into an asset where it may not be quite, you have a lot of bad tenants in there that haven't been paying because mom and dad were your property management, your asset management were focused on other things and the actual business, the banking quarrels at that point. I think if I were to get involved, just that would be the value add with the getting people back on the paying your rent bandwagon. I don't think I would be getting involved in properties with the additional value add of rehabbing units. It would have to be a stabilized property in terms of where the rent upside is. Meaning that when we were doing deals, right now we're not really doing multifamily value add, we're doing other types of deals. But when we were doing multifamily value add, oh yeah, we're not doing it because of the interest rates. That's pretty much the big thing. Uh, and the prices haven't gone down hugely. If we did, back then we were doing a lot more value add, right? We having units, construction scope involved. But if I were to pick up one of these distressed apartments from a distressed owner, I wouldn't want to get into a property with that added complication of rehabbing units. I would just want to get into the value add of getting the new tenants back paying. If you guys are interested and in maybe be on the forefront of that coming wave of easily good deals, a little bit more hair on it, join the club today. Go to simplepassivecashflow.com slash club, fill out the quick form and yeah, let's get to know each other. Let's get that onboarding call completed and so I can help here. We always follow what our big brother Blackstone is doing, the world's largest private equity firm out there. They're announcing a $30 billion fund close for largest real estate drawdown fund ever. They announced this has $30, $30 billion of total capital commitments, the largest real estate private equity drawdown ever. Their ticker is Blackstone BX. These are all private real estate funds within that. So as a traditional investor, you don't really get access to the returns that they're getting 
on a project or deal level or portfolio level, which is why we urge people to get away from traditional investments where you're just getting screwed like the average Joe and get into alternative investments and invest more directly to the source, cutting out all the middlemen. So Blackstone is anticipating changing macro trains, trends. Blackstone real estate shifted its portfolio away from assets facing headwinds such as traditional office and malls, and is approximately 80% concentrated in logistics, rental housing, hospitality, lab office, and data centers. So makes me feel good that we're in a couple of those. The Blackstone scale and discretionary capital positions it well to capitalize on opportunities in its highest conviction sectors across the globe. Like I say, watch what the big guys do, not necessarily what the little peon economists who have a lot of opinions and never have any skin in the game say. A little update on interest rates. Interest rates have been ticking down slightly. Now, I think we went into the highs in October 2022 and came down a little bit and then ticked back up a month ago in February, but came back a little bit down. Going to be in this little bit of up and down, up and down. Although interest rates have been increasing up until this point the what actually happens with the fixed mortgage rates or the prices that we pay and for our debt it does it's not entirely correlated it's like if i don't know exactly how the oil and gas dark world works if like opec increases the the dollar price for oil it may not be directly correlated to what we're paying at the pump Right. There's some other things that our government can do, release oil reserves or manipulate this or that. It's the same thing. It's correlated, but not directly. Last article here, and then we'll get into some lesson learned from Yahoo Finance. So the consumer price index was released for the month, and it is good news because we are starting to see it come down for another month in a row. So the decrease was to 5.1% on an annual basis, down from that 9.1% figure several months ago. Still, the Fed's reserve target is 2%. They are saying here that the odds of stagflation went down while the odds of soft landing went up. However, coming straight from the Fed's mouth, not from Yahoo Finance's article here, Fed has changed their guidance from predicting a soft landing. They're saying that they're predicting a recession come later this year and throughout 2024. And what this means to me is they're going to probably pause and hold the interest rates where they're at. I guess I'm predicting and much of the street is predicting one, maybe two more rate, rate increases, but probably hold from there. And as opposed to just dropping it right away as they did in the past, they'll probably just hold it there for quite some time, let the slack go through the system as there's a lot of delay in the system. Unemployment is still really good, which is not a good thing if you're looking at it from, hey, let's just get back to normal here. Let's get back to baseline. And I think that's what I preach to a lot of you more sophisticated investors here. Most people out there on the street think the Fed is a villain and trying to destroy all this money and just screw the economy over. But I believe that they have the true interests in the long-term economy in their sights and they're pulling the strings behind the background. Unless the election comes around and influences the Fed, that won't happen until maybe Q2 of 2024, which I predict is the time when interest rates will start coming down at that point as we'll start to see inflation come more down to like that 3% range. I don't think 2% is reasonable 
really. All right. So some lessons learned here. Here on the left, I talking to some investors and for some people who like to play, see the stock market, see for what it really is. It's a Wall Street roller coaster, but it's a bit of gambling. And so people love gambling. I don't gamble when I go to Las Vegas, but the election is coming up next year. And we're going to get into that election season and not to say anything political, but some people, they want to invest in more democratic left wing type of favored businesses, some right wing favored businesses off the top of my head, like things like gun manufacturing. Obviously, that's more of a right wing type of business and those they would be lobbying more for that. But there's a ticker symbol for sort of if you wanted to thought the Democrats were going to win the election and take over the Senate and the House. You know, you could invest in those companies. At the very least, just for education, the ticker symbol is DEMZ. I'm not advocating investing in this or I don't know what the Republican ticker symbol is. But I think what all I'm saying is like, you know, it's important to know what are the more left wing type of businesses and what are the more right wing businesses. Recently, the Democratic ticker symbol type of businesses have been outperforming the entire market. And while not owning any GOP leaning companies like ExxonMobil, Home Depot, and AT&T would be more like the Republican type side or potentially more neutral companies, but not giving investment advice. But I actually, if it were me, Fed's calling recession, which means get your money out of the stock market and get into real hard asset would be what I would be doing and what I do. That's my crystal ball. I'm not a financial planner licensed to sell you guys commission-laden project products. So what do I know? I'm just a guy who has a primarily more than 80% of my net worth is an alternative assets. I, I think I get better returns there. I know the people that I'm working with and if anything, better taxes. And that's why I'm like, I have so many investors as data points. And I just see like from your guys' profiles and you guys join the group and I know exactly your guys' stuff in your financial profile, probably better than some of your spouses do. And from what I see, you cannot get above two, $3 million net worth by your 45th, 55th birthday, unless you have more than 20, 30% alternative investments. Most people doing it the right way, in my opinion, are ratcheting up the alternative investments to 50 to maybe even more than that of your portfolio. And that's what I did in my 20s and 30s. I took it well past. I got it out of that traditional investment stuff, got into alternative investments. Why? I think better returns, but if not anything, the taxes, right? Paying less taxes. And most people, they start off with just buying, going into a few deals at the minimum, and maybe that's 5 10% of their net worth. But once you get proof of concept, you got to ratchet that up. Like I said, unless you get off the ground at 20, 30% or greater, if your net worth is lower, you're going to have to go even higher than that, 50, 60%. You're just going to be like everybody else, maybe getting to one to $2 million net worth by your 50th birthday, or if you're a really frugal saver. Of course, if you make over $400,000, like some of the doctors a year, most of the doctors I see coming in with traditional investment portfolios, you guys are at like one to 2 million because you guys are a little bit more financially conservative. You save your money, your cheapos in a good way. But the doctors doing it this way, man, it's night and day. Their networks are all four, five, six mil plus. So that makes me scratch my head, right? It's like the CPA. That's who are my clients who are rich? What the heck are they doing? They see exactly what you guys are doing. And same thing like me. A little bit of 
credit card hacking here. So like, I'm a big fan of do another video on this in the future, but I'm going to, I have a million dollars of American express points, which if I cashed out now, it would be about 10 grand, about a dollar per point. I think I get a little bit better conversion rate because I have, I signed up for the American express checking account. And I have their business platinum card too. So it gives me a little bit higher conversion rate. I didn't opt for that Charles Schwab card where I get like 1.2 conversion rate. I don't really want to burden my life with another brokerage account. And I'm already with JP Morgan, which is like best bank out there. Bobby is, I think it's a little bit better than Morgan Stanley and all the other ones. And, but the question is credit travel reward points. What do you use them for? And I think this is something that a lot of us are interested in because this is how we got started into this personal finance world. It's always fun to do the credit card hacking to get the travel hack rewards and points and play that game. In my opinion, there's two categories. There's business owners and non-business owners. If you're a business owner like myself, you probably want to pull the points out as cash and cash is king because a lot of the things that you would spend your money on travel, you probably could somehow off as a business travel. I'm always meeting investors all over and therefore I'm able to write off as a legitimate deduction. And this is why we say if you guys are like a part-time real estate investor or agent or like a life insurance broker, if you like to get involved and help our team with that, let us know. You can join the team on the life insurance side. Help us push through the accredited investor banking programs that we have. It makes more sense to just pull the points as cash. But I think most people don't own businesses out there. And therefore, if you read the articles, there's always these cool ways that you can get a little bit higher conversion rates if you transfer your points to an airline or a hotel and use it there. But I think there's two kinds of people there too, right? Some people, they like these aspirational type of first-class experiences on airlines. And when you use points for that, it drastically increases the value of your point. But if you're not that type of person, which I don't think most people in our group are, most people are rather just take a lot of more flights than just burn it up on a first class Singapore flight where I get to take a shower and in a little bit more prudent traveler, you'd probably be better off just using it for being smart with the conversions. That said, if you read the book Die With Zero, you know, what's going to your life is a bunch of collections of memories and don't, don't take that picture in the shower that's weird. But then again, if you can take five trips, I suppose a one trip, a lot more experience, there's a lot more of that memory dividend concept there. But again, there's two sides of the coin there. And maybe I'll have a glass of wine and withdraw these and see 10 grand go in my bank account and just stick it in the pile again and invest more in real estate. But yeah, that's the lesson learned. If you guys have any questions, please shoot it out to the team at simplepassacashflow.com. And we'll see you guys next week. Bye.